0: So we are going to be out of Acts chapter 18 um, this week. So we're just going to start at the end of it. And then this will be the third week that we kind of touch on it. But we're going to move on from it. I just felt like there was a lot of really good information in it. So um, we're going to move on from that. And then next week, we're going to do a Christmas sermon. And then um, the week after that, we're going to give an encouragement sermon of the new year. And then after the new year, we're going to get back into Acts. So, you know, some people have the preference of let's, let's teach topical messages or let's teach um, this type of message or that kind of message. And here's the thing. I think if we open up the word of God each week, that's relevant to you and I, right? So we've been in Acts for a long time. Are you guys bored with it yet? Okay, good. Good. Well, the good news is, is we're going to continually be in it until we finish it. Um, So yeah, Acts chapter 18. And today we're going to talk about a much debated scripture. A lot of people have some opinions about it. And um, I thought to myself, maybe I just skip over this part of the scripture today. And I just don't lead to any controversy at all. And I thought about it, and then I said, that's a good reason to keep on diving into it. So, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. You can follow on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. So, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, With a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's important. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more Adequately. Real quick, do you guys remember giving me, giving Mark and Phyllis a hard time last week? Yeah. You know what? The next day, I kid you not, I get something in the mail, and it was a picture. It, it had to be the Lord. It, well, it wasn't. A, it was just a card, right? And I took a picture of it. And guess what the card said? It said to Macy and Joey Brown. And I said, "Okay, God, this isn't even funny anymore." So um, the good news is, is I knew Mark and Phyllis could took it, could took it, could take it. Here I go again. Sin has consequences. Could take it, and I guess this person didn't know I couldn't take it. So uh, I sent their gift back. <laughs> I put them on the naughty list. Either way, right here we see Priscilla mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila. So Apollos had, um, what we see here is Apollos, he was passionate, he was fiery, he was well-learned, educated. He spoke of the Lord with education, but um, Priscilla and Aquila needed to explain to him the gospel of Jesus a little bit more adequately. So, Apollos had a few areas that needed to be sharpened because he only knew, what did the scripture say? The baptism of John. So, he was likely, Apollos was likely a disciple of John's, which then meant that he knew John's message that John preached about Jesus. So, what was John's message that made Priscilla and Aquila need to teach him more adequately. That's important. So what I do want to share is this. Was John's message accurate? Yes. Did John's message need a little bit more information? Yes. So we're going to just look at that real quick, and then we're going to get into Acts chapter 19. So John's message was the, uh, the message of the baptism of repentance, so, Luke 3.3, 3, we're going to fly through some of these, but if you want to turn, you can. Luke 3.3 3 says this. He went into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's John. John's baptism had to do with repentance. It was a symbolic representation of changing one's mind and going in a new direction. So that's what repentance is, right? When I go to God and I, I go to him and I say, God, please forgive me of my sin, that's a confession. But when I, when I take my confession and I completely turn from that sin and then I turn to God, that's repentance. Repentance. Right? So John's saying, you must be willing to let go of your old way of life, to turn from your old way of life, turn from your sin, and turn to God. That's what he was preaching. That's a really good message, amen? And we all need that. Matthew 3.11. I baptize you, this is John, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John prepared the way for Jesus by calling people to acknowledge their sin and their need for salvation. But his baptism at this point lacked the Holy Spirit and fire. So John identified Jesus as the coming Savior though as well. John one twenty nine. the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John also knew that Jesus was to come as the Lamb that would be slain for our sin. So if Apollos was John's disciple at this point, his message was inadequate in comparison to Paul's teaching, I believe. Paul teaches us that uh, the forgiveness of sins is through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not just in turning from our sins, not just in um, baptism, but actually turning turning from that and then only through the blood of Jesus. So Romans 3.25, this is in the NLT. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right uh, with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Forgiveness is through faith. Faith. In Jesus Christ. Not actions that we take. Not works. But repentance, right? When we repent, our repentance must also be accompanied by trusting fully in the saving work of the cross. Completely. Fully. We have to trust that. Hebrews 9.14 for how much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So I have to submit to God in the things that he calls me to. Right? And he's, he's cleansed me and He's made me new and He's given me the ability and He's given you the ability to say yes to Him. Those dirty acts that we used to do, those dirty things, the things we think, the things that we say, God has given us the ability to be cleansed by His blood. And there's this call to obedience to say yes to Him in that. Paul also teaches that we are given a new life. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time has come fully, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. New life. You're no longer a slave. So those temptations that you have, those challenges that you have, when you gave your life to Christ, you're no longer a slave. That's somewhat what we talked about last week is there, there's people who, who um, what was the word? They, they kind of look the power. It was First Timothy 3. They have the, um, now I'm going to stumble about it. Basically, you deny the power, right? You look like you have power, but you deny its power. God has given us the power to overcome and no longer be a slave. Isn't that good? Amen? The problem is, is usually we submit to ourselves rather than what God has given us. We are no longer a slave but God's child. Point being, if Apollos was simply taught John's message of baptism, if that's what he was discipled in, then his message needed to be updated just a little bit. And it wasn't that it was wrong, he needed a little bit more information. It seems as if Apollos may have been, at this point in his ministry, unaware of the work of Jesus Christ being completed and finished. That's why Aquila and Priscilla taught him. They said, here, come on in. We have a few more things to teach you. Now, I say that to say, Acts 18 specifically doesn't say every example by which they taught them. If not, I wouldn't have pulled the other scriptures. But what it does say is, he knew John's baptism, or he taught John's baptism. So, Here's where we get um, to the controversial scripture that many different groups have disagreed upon. So, what I wanted to do is set it up a little bit just with a story of my life. Um, Because when I read this story, there was um, a lot of justification that took, not justification, there was a lot of like reasoning with, well, this is why I think this, and this is why I think that, and this is why I think this could be true. And it didn't matter what I thought, I just needed to keep on going to Scripture. So, as I continue to go to Scripture, I'll give you what I think this Scripture means today. If you go to a different church with a different background, that they might tell you something different. So, um, nevertheless. um, As I've shared before, from a really young age, I loved God. I grew up and... um, You know, with with every uniqueness within my life, asthma and uh, afraid of thunderstorms and being in the hospital forever, I felt like um, I loved God and I pursued him. Everything that um, I could, I felt like I gave to God, whatever that meant. So that meant if I was playing Mario, I'm going to play Mario to the best of my abilities unto God. That's just how it was. Um, I remember the tears that fell down my face as I was afraid to walk through my house or go to sleep because of nightmares. And those things all pushed me to go to God, right? So I remember calling out to God with my back against the washer. I remember Jesus' name being more powerful than any other name. I would identify with him from a young age. I would worship him from a young age, and I would try to serve him. But in spite of all of these things, right? You try to go to church, you try to go to youth group, you try to represent God, you you look at your children's picture Bible, and then I get older, and now I'm 10, 11, 12, 13. You try to live for God. You discover new things. You try to live for God. In spite of going to church, in spite of having Christian friends, in spite of trying to read my Bible, in spite of praying, God still felt miles away, thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles, whatever, quadrillions of miles away. It was almost as if I honored this God and loved this God, but God was just this box up in heaven. God was in a box up in heaven, and then if he was going to answer a prayer, it was like it would be a lottery ticket. There wasn't an intimate relationship with him, though at that point, when I was 12, 13, 14, if someone asked me, they said, Joey, are you going to heaven? I would say, yes. Yes. I'm going to heaven. Well, why? Because God loves me. Because, I would have said, because God loves me, because I try to serve him, because I try to honor him. Not necessarily knowing the intimacy that I was experiencing with him when I was younger. So it's not what you know, it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. I believe scripture's really clear when Jesus says, but I never knew you. Y'all can know the Bible front and backwards. Okay. You can know of God, okay. But just because you know of God doesn't mean that God knows you. Likewise, Macy and I know of Urban Meyer. Macy and I met Urban Meyer, but if I was walking in the mall tomorrow and Urban Meyer was there, he wouldn't know me, right? So I don't get to walk on Fox's set. I don't get to go to the Woody Hayes facility. We must intimately know Jesus. And at this point in my life, I felt like God was just far away. And that becomes really hard to love a God that just feels so far away. You can say cliche things, when you're at that point of your life, well, he makes all things work together for my good, but you don't feel it. You can say cliche things like, um, it's Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But where was the intimacy of knowing that I was a true believer? I was really trying to honor someone that I could not see or feel or touch. And life went on and on and on. And I would dare to say this. Many of you guys today, or some of you guys today, feel like God's really far from you. Like you're doing all that you can do. You're praying, you're worshiping, maybe you're fasting, but God just feels really far away. So then, I, uh, I gave my life to Christ at a young age. I was baptized in the old baptismal. Um, many people have called that the pastor's hot tub. <laughs> Not the case. <laughs> if that's the way, literally, if we use that as a hot tub, I'd probably die. Not because God would strike me dead. Maybe it would be. I don't think it would be. But it would be because there's probably like mold and growths in there that you just don't even open it up. But I was baptized in the old baptismal. And um, my fr- so that was my freshman year. Remember the day. I still have some trinkets that my good buddy uh, Mark Slisher gave me about that day in pictures. But it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I feel like I truly repented that, that I, I realized the weight of my sin, that my sin separates me from God. And so, so what ended up happening is my junior year, I then repented of my sin and said, God, I don't want it anymore. And if you don't, if you don't make this payment, I'm going to hell. Jesus, I believe that your blood covers this. That's, that's when I think that I was born again. And then, um, and what shortly, yeah, so what shortly happened after that is um, every Thursday, my junior year of high school, I'd get out of school at 1.30 and I'd go help a youth group in Dayton. And uh, what ended up happening is I actually, the um, secretary, Mrs. Denji, she ended up saying, hey, you don't even need to bring a note anymore because I know that you're leaving on Thursday." So Thursdays, I'd just go sign out, and didn't need a note, and I would just leave. And there was this Thursday experience, after giving my life to Christ in a real way, when I'm at this youth group, and it's a really big church, and while I'm there, um, they had a multi-million dollar youth room, and I stand at the back of the room for worship, so during my service that I would go to youth group, I'd stand up front, and I'd worship, and I'd um, It'd just be between me and God. But then when I led, then I'd be in back just in case I needed to do anything. So um, during service, there was this kid playing pool. And while he was playing pool, I'm like, how can you play pool during worship? Not out of a point my finger at you, like, why are you doing this during service? It was like, man, you're missing out on so much. Because when I was born again, God was no longer miles away. God became this intimate God that I knew was living inside of me and that I knew that I could run to. So what broke my heart is that while I'm watching this kid play pool, I'm saying there's no way that he could be in this room today, in this room this evening, and know that God is intimately in love with him and close to him. So you know what I did is I started to pray. I said, God, I pray that you would get this guy's attention. I pray that he would quit uh, playing pool. And what he would end up doing, Father, is he would just honor you. Kept on playing. I said, God, just, he needs to know how much you love him. He needs to know how much you love him. God, may he quit playing pool right now in Jesus' name. So what ended up happening is he took the stick, put it on the side, grabbed the balls, and then he did this. Like, wow, God answered my prayers. Like, as a 17-year-old, you don't expect God to answer stuff like that, especially when most of your life, he's felt thousands of miles away. So he woke up my wonder. So I said, God, more than him, just quit playing pool. I pray that, that you would speak to him very clearly tonight, that you would give him a word of encouragement just to let him know that everything's okay. So you pray that prayer, and then you better be willing to say something. So after worship was over and after the message was over, I felt like God put something on my heart to share with him. So I walked up to him, and I said, hey, my name's Joey. And he said, nice to meet you. My name's such and such. And I said, I just wanted to let you know that God wants me to tell you that everything's going to be okay in your life, that he loves you, and it's not time to give up and tears started to fall down his face. And he said, my mom killed herself yesterday. I've never been to church, but I told God that if he was real and he had a plan for me and he had a purpose for me, that when I go to church tonight, that someone will say something. Amen. Power, a new creation. One of the, I'm gonna be completely honest. One of the uniquenesses about being the pastor here at here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship is some people see me as little Joey. And and to even be more transparent, not that I wrestle with that every week, b- because I I'm not the defender of myself. Christ is, and if I get up here and try to defend myself, then um, that only proves. That that proves me. That proves whoever you you is right, right. God's my defender. So, but one of the uniquenesses is, is being little Joey. Then sometimes it can be challenging to present um, to a congregation that's like, oh well, we just know who he is, or we know what he's about. Well, you know what? Uh, there's no junior Holy Spirit. And we're all new creations. So, if, if we can see each other in the church as a new creation, then we're going to have a better chance to move forward and be propelled and make an impact in this community. But if we keep on labeling people to who, who they used to be or, or their age group, then we're never going to move forward. So, as a new creation, I speak to you. And I, as a new creation, that day I spoke to that kid and I pray and hope that, that he knows who Jesus is 20 years later. Not 20 years, 15 years later. Point being is the Holy Spirit is a great thing. And there was power that was manifesting in my life. And from, from ages, whatever, zero or one, day one, to age 17, the Holy Spirit to me was such this foreign idea. You heard about it. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even when we had powerful uh, powerful worship service here at MCF, it was like God did that. It was always God did that or thankful for what God did. And there was never really this, not because we as a church didn't do it, but based upon my understanding and the way that I understood things, Nothing to do with leadership not teaching or putting us in the correct position because that happened. It was all of my understanding is it was always like the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? Anyone ever been there? And you're like, well, Joey, don't you preach that every week? You tell us to be in the Bible every week. You should be. But I saw immediate power when it came to being born again and it wasn't just power of prophecy. And one of the things that th- this generation misses out on is when, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is often articulated for just things that make us look good. Because you know what? It's unique to me. I had a friend once say, I just got done having premarital sex and then went to the mall and healed somebody. And I'm thinking, that just, that just doesn't make sense. Like, God first gives you the power to live a righteous life through him. When Jesus died on the cross, so you're telling me that you're full of power? Because if you were full of power three hours before you just did what you did, you would have stopped, and you would have repented, and you would have ran from, but instead you did what you wanted, and then you went and healed somebody? Our focus, when when we're born again, is on Jesus and getting to know Him intimately. And the more that we get to know Him intimately, then the more we should want to live out for uh, live our life for Him. And the more that we want to live our life for Him, the more we know we can't. So then we have to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Amen. So when you feel like you can't anymore, you can. There were immediate f- fruits. Then when I was 20, um, and I prayed a lot this week, like, God, may your Holy Spirit lead me in the things that I share today. So today may be really A to Z, but I'm going to try to follow the Spirit. Then when I was 20, God led me to a place of desiring more of him. So 17, I believe, I was born again when I was 20. I had this deep desire to be used by him to see Mechanicsburg and Champaign County and Clark County, this tri-county area saved, born again, because they needed to know who Jesus was even more. So um, that's when one day I, um, church service, um, Lyndon prayed for the double portion, that I would receive a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm setting up the controversy, right? The controversy of this scripture we're going to get to, but it was like, I gave my life to Christ, so I knew of God. I believed in God, and then, and then I was born again, and then now, after Lyndon praying for the double portion of, for me, then it was like the gifts inside of me really came alive, so prophetic stuff started happening, and people started to get healed, and I, and I had these dreams, and, and the Holy Spirit just started to move. Like, every single day, God was doing something unique, So maybe I received the double portion when that happened. Maybe God helped me become aware of what he already uh, gave me. Maybe my heart was in the right place of wanting to serve God. But whatever happened when I was prayed for that day, my life has never been the same. Amen? So we're getting ready to hit the scripture where Paul asks a group of disciples, he says, Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now, why in the world would you ask disciples if they've received the Holy Spirit? Well, um, yeah. Why would you ask them that? Because not every disciple is a disciple of Jesus. Paul is addressing some believers who might not have been saved at this point. Just like me, a believer at a young age, but didn't know the whole story. Acts chapter 19. Wow. It's um, 1126. We're going to keep on going. So um, if not, we're going to have to hold you over next week. And next week there's brunch. So um, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the coming after him, in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. While Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. uh, There were about 12 men in all. So you have believers, you have disciples who heard nothing of the Holy Spirit. So what I started to wrestle with was this, is I took this part of the scripture and I took it back to my life before the age of 17. And I said to myself, well, God, I don't know if I had the Holy Spirit at that point in my life because I wasn't born again. So I think that I went from age seventeen and below, loving God, serving God, feeling guilty about not doing good enough, right? Thinking that if that if I died when I was sixteen, speeding and peeling out and passing people, because you know when you first get that license, there's some things you got to do with that car, right? (laughs) Until people who know you in town tell your parents. And then, of course, you lied to your parents when they asked if that were you. Were you peeling out? No. No, I wasn't. This truck can't even peel out. So so 17 and before, it was like, I believed, but this idea of the Holy Spirit living inside of me didn't make sense. I didn't know, I, I knew that, that God was somehow living inside of me, but I don't, I don't think I understood repentance and um, Jesus' blood on the cross at that point. So then I took it back to the scripture and I said, well, aren't I these guys? I'm them right here, not knowing the whole picture. So Paul's ad- um, addressing these disciples there's not enough information to know that these are true disciples. I just don't think they knew the complete story. They could simply be disciples of whatever. And disciples doesn't always mean that they're devout to Jesus. We see an example of this in John 6:66. 6, so uh, you like me, might have took a deep breath when you saw uh, John 6:66, 6, like, <gasps> From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you want to leave too? So there's disciples of Jesus who are following him that ended up leaving. So what we can't say is every disciple of Jesus is a true disciple, right? You with me on that? So when these disciples, Learners, they're disciples, so their learners are being addressed. When we're looking at the context of this scripture, we can't say that they were disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of something where it almost seems as if they might be disciples of John. Either way, in um, Acts chapter 19, some people have taught that this is Paul questioning their salvation. I think it's a viable option, especially being that some people um, were still living under John's teaching. So if they didn't re- receive the Holy Spirit, then they're not saved. And here's what's unique, is when we talk about the Holy Spirit, not my notes, so this is the trying to being led by the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that it's this mystical weird thing, Right? Far too often people think that the Holy Spirit just has to become this mystical thing of speaking in tongues and dancing and chanting or always seeing miracles. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be you being a new creation. So, other people have said that this is Paul talking about the, what some people call the second grace or the second blessing. So, you, you get saved... And then after you get saved, then to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to pray for a second blessing. (laughs) I'm going to let God be God. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe in it. And then people would say, well, why then when you were 20 and you were prayed for, did, did the Holy Spirit come alive in your life? Well, I think specifically that was because I was at a place within my life where I was willing to be led by the Holy Spirit that I surrendered in my life to say, God, whatever it may be, I'll do it. So, um, many teachers have used this scripture that, to teach that way. That, that this is the evidence of the requirement of a second blessing to receive the Holy Spirit. Then they say that tongues and prophecy is evidence of, this, uh, of the Spirit and you being saved. Anyone ever heard that, that you have to speak in tongues to be saved? Participating church. Not that you believe it, but have you ever heard people talk about it? I don't believe that. Yet, all throughout Scripture, and specifically all throughout Acts thus far, we have seen God's power with no correlation. And what I mean by that is this is um, tongues specifically had no correlation with people being born again. So tongues happened in Acts chapter 2, tongues happened in Acts chapter 10, and tongues happened in tongues chapter 19. It didn't happen after people were saved and born again in 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 13, 14, 17, and 18. So... For those who say that the evidence of you being saved is because you speak in tongues, let's just go to the Word. And based upon that argument, they would be saying those who were saved in 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 13, 14, 17, and 19 were not saved. Despite many, or 18 despite many um, conversions taking place in these chapters, um, there was no correlation. Scripture um, does tell us to desire these gifts though. So in spite of majority of what we're seeing, tongues not taking place thus far, and uh, the spiritual gifts really coming alive immediately after, Scripture says to desire them. So you know what I do? I desire them. So Paul here in Acts chapter 19 meets some people who I believe had a similar perspective of Apollos. And their, um, their perspective required some more information. Therefore, when Paul asks if they've received the Spirit, I suppose he's gauging what they already know. This reveals to him that they may not know how the story of Jesus actually ended or actually just beginning. The story of Jesus didn't end when he died and rose three days later, right? It's really just beginning for the rest of eternity. And it it didn't just begin, but it's just continuing. This group, um, they may still be living under the Old Testament a Messiah to come and not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So, guess what Paul does? He graciously brings some genuine believers up to speed on who Jesus is. Help lead them to a place of true conversion. And I believe Scripture is clear about the Spirit of God living in you at conversion. I do not believe that these men were saved If they never knew about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to live inside of you and do do its work within you, I believe, to be saved. But just because the Holy Spirit does the work doesn't mean that those gifts manifest immediately. Are you with that? So, what I'm saying is if you've never spoken in tongues, if you're saved, you're saved. Romans 8, 9 says this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So a believer, just because you believe, doesn't mean you're born again either. How many people within the communities represented believe in God. How many people do you see on TV that believe in God and might even be genuine about their faith? I genuinely believe in God. Okay, well, you and the demons do, right? Even the demons believe in God. So what makes you, any, whoever you is, what makes you any better than a demon? Nothing. What makes born-again believers better? The blood of Jesus. So, I believe that when we're born again, we're not born again unless we have the Spirit of God living inside of us doing His work. I think a lot of controversy may come over two words. The indwelling of the Spirit, which I believe all believers have. And then the filling of the Spirit. So when we read scripture and we read about Peter was filled or this person was filled or that person was filled, I believe that the filling of the Spirit based upon what I've read is almost for a special assignment. God's getting ready to do something really unique and that filling is coming to help you with this next thing that's coming about. So I would say this today. There's many people in this room who are born-again believers who the Holy Spirit's living inside of them they've never said, God, I want to be filled. I want to be sent. I want to be used. It's always been, I'm just going to do my life with the indwelling and then tell you what to do. You being God. So you say, I haven't spoken in tongues. I haven't prophesied. I haven't seen a miracle. Does that mean that you are saying I'm not saved? I am not saying that. I would not say that that, does, um, that that doesn't mean that you are not saved. But I'd also say this, if you prophesied, if you performed a miracle, or if you've spoken in tongues, I'm also not going to say that you're saved, right? So, um, the Holy Spirit's ability to quicken us from our death to life in sin is no less than tongues, Right? The comfort the Holy Spirit brings us is not less than a healing miracle. So, right now, the Holy Spirit, I promise you this God is with the Walters right now. God is increasing himself in a way that we just don't understand. And many people, us right now, we're saying we, we can't imagine. We can't imagine what they're going through. And we can't. But you know what we also can't imagine? the way that God is increasing himself and leading them and guiding them and comforting them in ways that we, we are not experiencing because it's not us in that situation. Amen? So the Holy Spirit's ability to comfort people is no less than a healing miracle. The Holy Spirit manifests itself in many ways, leading us to repentance, giving us new life, and dwelling in us, giving us power, giving us revelation, walking with us intimately. But what I wanted to do today, as we wrap up, this is it. There's no prescription or description today. What I wanted to do is um, ask you a couple questions. Because here's what I realize, and here's what I love, um, what I hope to communicate very clearly, is I never want you guys to feel like I'm pointing a finger at you unless I say I'm pointing a finger. <laughs> I mean that. I'm not. I'm, if, if you feel like I'm pointing a finger at you during service, I think the best thing to do would be to say, God, were you in that? Was there anything in that? If, if I ever want to point a finger at an individual, then I'm going to take you to Starbucks or Chipotle and I'll let you know beforehand that I have something to pick with you, right? I think that's nice. If if you wanna talk to someone about a problem, let them know, hey, I have a problem, I wanna talk to you. So I'm not gonna surprise you. Point being is as I share, I wanna ask these hard questions and I want us all to ask these hard questions about who we are. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm the only one who gets to know what went on completely that day within my heart, within my mind, and within my actions, right? When you guys see me up here on Sunday mornings, some of you, that's all you see me throughout the month. Others of you, that was the fifth time you've seen me that week. You don't know what's going inside, going on inside of me. You don't know my thoughts, my feelings, my problems, So when I ask hard questions or present hard scriptures, I want you to be able to look in the mirror and say, God, I have a clear conscience, or I need more of you, and to be honest with that. So these questions, it's not pointing a finger, but it is helping you have a moment and space to ask God where you really are. So I wanna ask the question today, and why don't we just close our eyes? I wanna ask the question today, are you right with God today? Now look, for some of you, maybe you're not born again, maybe you're not saved. But for others of you, you felt like you're thousands of many miles away from God. That, that the things that you used to love doing for God, you no longer want to do anymore. That, that reading and serving and even being at church today is hard for you. Are you right with God today? Or have you noticed you are more judgmental, critical, lustful, prideful? Are you in a place today where if God asked you to do something you would, whether you like the worship songs or not worship uh, or n- do not like the worship songs, were you able to lift praises to him today? Are you right with him today? Is there anyone today just with a raise of hands that says god i I just I just want to be a little, I want to be right with you. I want to be right with you. Don't be afraid of those hands. That's awesome. It's good. And then question number two. Are you willing to give God permission to move in your life however he pleases? Will you do that today? Will you give God that permission of your dreams, of your wishes, of your thought patterns, whatever that may be? You know what I'm tired of is people looking to their spiritual resumes to give them um, to give them the assurance of their future. Well, no spiritual resume assures you anything unless Jesus has stamped that resume. So don't care how many cookies you threw over the fence for the Christmas walk. Don't care how many jugs, how many Christmas walks you've served, how many years you've served in kids' ministry or even have been a member of this church. What matters is today, this moment, because you're breathing, are you willing to give God permission to move however he pleases in your life. And as I've said before, there's conflict in that because within many of us, we think that the nature of God, is he's a bad God because if we trusted him completely, we'd tell him, yes, God, I trust you. But there's this belief within us that we don't trust him because we think he's gonna steal something from us. Well, he's the gift giver, so he can't steal what he gives. So what I just wanted to do is, with those today, I'm not going to make it easy for you. <laughs> if this is hard for you, how, how will we ever be God's representative outside of the four walls? If we can't make a stand for Christ with our brothers and sisters here today to say, I stand for you and I need more of you, I want more of you, if we can't do that in here, By golly, you're not going to serve them out there. So as we learn a little bit of born-again believers today, people who come to know Christ in a genuine way, after being probably distant from Him, even though they were genuine for many years, are you willing to give God permission to move in your life however He pleases? And if that's you today, then what I'm going to ask is that you would respond up here at the altar area. And if we just put on, um, Bill, I know no forewarning about this, just music with no words. But if you guys would just respond, God, I give you permission. And God's moving in your guys' hearts right now, and your heart's beating, and I don't get paid anymore, no Christmas bonus for the responses. But I genuinely care about those who God's moving in right now to respond God, I need more of you. So we're just gonna kind of let this first wave of people come up here, and then we're just gonna pray, and we'll go from there. You can be a regular attender member or first-time guest. If God's moving, then um, say yes to him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name right now. Father, that as we come up here, not to get saved or to be born again necessarily, Father, but to say we give you permission to lead us, to guide us. Father, I pray that you would break off every lie that we believe about who you are in our lives. Father, I pray that you would um, give us boldness and... and, uh, Courage to live for you each day from our thoughts, from our actions Father, to the way we interact with people I pray that, that, that you would give us a zeal and passion to know you more Father, I pray that you would make this church immensely hungry for you Father, may, may, may church it's been the past couple years just not be good enough May we desire to worship you in small groups. May we desire to worship you uh, in the morning, in the evening, and at night, Father. May this church come together for prayer and worship, just a deep hunger. And Father, I pray for those who are up here right now that are dealing with sin. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would help them turn from it. Father, that they would live as a new creation, as sons and daughters. And Father, I pray for increased filling of those today. Increased filling in us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.